Here are several reasons why you should choose Tally and Twine Watch Company. Number one, we offer a two-year product warranty, so don't worry about fading or malfunctions. Number two, there's no risk to you. We offer both free shipping and free returns. Number three, the number seven represents completion and reminds you to finish what you start. Number four, why buy a lookalike watch when you can wear a true conversation piece? Number five, your satisfaction is guaranteed and we have hundreds of reviews to prove it. Number six, you can choose from our metal, leather, or canvas timepieces and we have styles for every occasion. Number seven, we offer the best features at the best value, hands down. Tally and Twine Watch Company, it's time to make your mark. Welcome to the Savage Truth Podcast with Pastor Roy Dockery. Thank you for joining us again for another episode. I uh, appreciate and apologize for everyone uh, sticking with us through the last couple of episodes. Um, I know the audio quality was not the greatest. I'm sorry I did not have access to my studio while we were nomadically living across the United States um, and in different places. So since we were technically homeless, um, I obviously was recording in different places like in my car and using uh, my, my Bluetooth microphones and different things. So now I do have the privilege of being back in my home, in my office, in my comfortable chair with my nice Rode NT1 Alpha microphone to now record my podcast. So I'm not going to guarantee that there won't be another podcast episode recorded while I'm on the road, because if all of this clears up and I get back to my normal schedule of traveling, I will be back jet setting around the world um, doing what it is that I do in many fashions, in many ways. But today I wanted to touch on something um, that's interesting, right? I, I consider myself to be a bit of a, a sociologist, right? I love the way um, that people react to certain stimulus and I like to challenge people's minds, right? And that's the whole concept behind the savage truth. But just even outside of doing a podcast and like posing ideas and thoughts that challenge the way that people behave, one of the other things I like to do is I like to challenge and combat stereotypes. And it's not like this, this effort to just go out and defy things, but it's really understanding the fact that we live in a society, we live within a world that tries to program us to respond to certain stimulus and certain things a certain way, right? So when we talk about programming, I'm talking about the media, entertainment, movies, the news, right? All of the programming that we can dial into and that we can tap into um, from an entertainment and from a media perspective, the, those programs kind of cast and paint pictures, illustrations, and narratives of the world. And we either choose to perceive it as entertainment, we choose to see it as news, we basically treat it as fact or fiction. And one of the problems in America being a black male in America is that most of the programming that's precipitated around black men in this country has to do 
with violence and drug use and criminality, right? There, there isn't a lot of like, even when you watch television, like for my children to watch a show that has a black family that in some way reflects the very nuclear family that we have, which is I work, my wife stays at home, my children are homeschooled. Like the closest thing we can get to, to something that represents our actual reality as a black family is to watch the Cosby show before Claire went back to law school. Like, that that's where we are like most of the things in the media right now my daughters cannot look at a popularized figure in most current media and say that person correlates to my father right so i'm an i'm an executive i'm a rapper i'm a pastor right i'm a, I'm a podcaster I'm, a, I'm an author as well right i'm a poet there's all of the stuff that i do but the image of like intelligent college educated black man that's not an athlete right that 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 didn't play football or basketball and i didn't go to college on scholarships i had student loans that that paid my way like there there isn't this 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 clear depiction of what i consider to just be like normal black people like it's either black excellence or it's black criminality like that's all we see on television so it's either love and hip hop atlanta or we're watching basketball wives or we're watching the stories of the greatness of of Michael Jordan and we're you know we're we're following LeBron James in the media and all of these things that are kind of the the exceptions not just in black America but the exceptions in America for like professional and um and even personal excellence. And then on the other side all we get to see is basically drive-by shootings in Chicago, murders in Philadelphia, right? Rap music that gets popularized in the media that glorifies misogyny um and sexism and drug use and, you know, criminal behavior and and gang culture and all of this stuff and like that's where we kind of get tied to in America. So like I'm either like I either have to be trending towards black excellence and I need to be the next LeBron James to fit to um to to fit into a mold or you know I grab a bandana and a Uzi and I'm and I'm on the right side or I you know paint my hair like a rainbow and I'm Takashi 69. So the the dynamic of America and the fact that like these are the buckets that are that are kind of defined and that are put into our programming for people to observe it's funny when especially when you you get into areas where majority culture is prominent and people don't have to interact a lot with minorities. It's it's weird to see which stereotypical category they will put you in. So when I say that I'm a bit of a sociologist, like I, I like to, first of all, for people who haven't you know listened to, to my background, like I grew up around gang culture, right? I grew up in um in a majority black community. I also lived in majority white communities and rural communities. Um, so I, I have an exposure to different racial cultures and demographics throughout America. Um, and I've lived all over, I lived in different places across America. So with that, like I've, I've been able to kind of to, to, to have an experience and then I've kind of developed my own personal culture, right? I'm half Jamaican and half African-American. Um, so some of my family immigrated to the U.S. and the other half of my family are basically descendants of slaves from um, from Southern Virginia and South Carolina. Right. So that in that dynamic, like even me as a person, right, I'm, I'm a complexity of immigrant, you know, Jamaican culture, as well as African-American culture that descended from slaves. But then the Southern culture that then migrated to the north because my grandmother's family on my mother's side actually went to New York. Right. So I have like this southern migrated northern black culture plus immigrant Jamaican culture. But 
so people don't really know what stereotypical category to put me in, right? But especially when people get to know me, but I still find it interesting that on first glance, right? Because, you know, most studies will show that we kind of make a judgment on people and our perception of people within our first two to five seconds of meeting them, right? So it's always interesting for me to see within those first few seconds of someone meeting me, what stereotype are they going to put me in? And then making an intention to combat that stereotype so I can, in my interactions with individuals, uproot or redefine stereotypes that have been programmed in them, un, you know, unbeknownst to them, right? So these things, in my opinion, are unconscious biases, right? Implicit biases, negative biases um, that people possess and have because of how they've been programmed by the media, because of how they've been programmed by family unintentionally, and even some people, how they've been programmed by their religion or they, their ideology or whatever theology that they follow, right? So there's, there's these pictures that we have in our mind of what certain people are supposed to be, what a good person looks like, what a criminal looks like. Um, and from a training perspective, like when I talk to people, Right. You, you want to ask the question like, close your eyes and I'll ask everyone that's listening right now. Close your eyes and picture a criminal. Right. And, and if anyone's honest, regardless of what race you are, what your economic background is, because I know I've got a diverse group of people who listen to this show. When most of you close your eyes and picture a criminal, that criminal is black. Right. Like most of you aren't picturing like sons of anarchy looking white guys with tattoos and motorcycle vest on. Right. Like you're picturing probably the 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 common theme or image that you see projected on Crime Stoppers billboards and on public access cable television shows, which is normally some black man roughly about, you know, between 5'10 and 6'2 that's committed some kind of crime lately. Right. Like. I am a black man, and when I close my eyes and picture a criminal based on the exposure that I've had through media, entertainment, and all of this other stuff, and even just the news, the local news, then like criminal, like criminal is black, right? And that's 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 um touched on in the book The New Jim Crow, where we're talking about criminal being the new N-word, right? Like just the over-prosecution. Um, the, the militarization of the police, right? The over-policing of, of poor and minority communities. It leads to a, it creates a narrative, right? Where the people that we typically see getting arrested are black. So, which is interesting because when you look at statistics, for instance, like the vast majority of black people who are arrested are arrested for nonviolent drug offenses, right? The war on drugs is what has largely led to this, the precipitous increase in mass incarceration in America. So when you look at that increase in mass incarceration and the fact that we're locking all these people up for drug offenses, yet in public surveys, like white people admit to using and buying more drugs than black people, yet there are more black people in jail for drug use. So when you think about from a percentage perspective, like 50%, like I forgot what the number is, right? But a large percentage of like a comparable percentage of white and black people say they use drugs. But white people are three or four times larger in the population than black people, <laughs> right? So if 25% of white people say they use drugs, but white people are 55% of a 325 or 328 million person population, that means out of 160 million people, 40 million white people say that they use illegal drugs, which is actually larger than the population of black people in America because black people are somewhere, you know, in like the 35 million uh, depending on what data you look at. 
So if you look at that, like if we were arresting people at the same ratio, right, if only 25 percent of the of the, you know, the, the, the 35 million black people are, are using drugs and maybe 10 percent of those are being arrested, you should have a considerably larger number of white people who are incarcerated because of drug possession or drug sale. But you don't. It's just not a reality. Right. So when you over criminalize black communities, especially in the war on drugs that was targeted at minority communities by the, the, the different government entities that pushed it out there. Now you have this imprisonment of black people. And now those those people are criminals. Right. Even though some of them are criminals because of drug addiction, some of them are criminals because of poverty. And the only economic opportunity they had at their age or in their communities was to attempt was to sell drugs as well. Um, which was common in the communities where I grew up. Like if you were 14 years old and your mother was addicted to crack, which was another program created by the government and pushed into black communities. That's not a fake thing. It's real. You can look it up. Um, but that destroyed families, right? A lot of mothers got addicted. A lot of um, fathers got arrested. But then the children were left to try to fend for, their, for, fend for themselves. Like I have a cousin who at the age of 14 started selling drugs to take care of his family members. Um, his younger brothers and sisters because his mother was addicted to crack, right? So when you see the the complete um, destruction and the and the breakdown of of you know urban and you know in metropolitan cities and families in the '80s because of the crack epidemic and then how the war on drugs just came in and swooped up people and started incarcerating them and giving them mandatory minimums and giving them felony records, you basically created right like a generation of criminals. Um, between the 70s and the 80s, right? And so when that perpetuates forward, and now, you know, when we see on the, you see on the news, you see the people who are getting arrested, you see the people um, who are committing crimes are largely black, and it's just because they're in a, in a circumstance, in a situation that was largely crafted by the government um, and built on systemic racism and intentional, um, and basically intentional damaging of black communities. But now, now that program is there. When you see it in the media, when you see it in the music, right? The music industry that's heavily invested into, it's not like there isn't conscious hip hop. It's not like there isn't Christian hip hop, but what's heavily invested into, just like prisons are heavily invested into, is negative hip hop, right? It's hip hop that perpetuates misogyny, violence, drug use, and basically all the things that if you did what they said in their music, you would wind up in jail. Um, so again, still a part of a system. But at the end of the day, it creates these stereotypes and things that people are exposed to. And it's not like it's a figment of the imagination. Some of it is a reality, right? The Some of the statistics and the percentages are, are exaggerated, right? They're hyperbolized to kind of paint this narrative of black criminality. But what it creates is it creates these situations where now you have me, who's a black man, who's six foot two, right, who grew up in black culture, who, who, you know, who is a hip hop artist. And then like, I have to contend with every stereotype that's being perpetuated about who I may be. Right. So as a rapper, I tell people like, you know, and then people are like, oh, you rap like, yeah, the first thing that pops into people's head when, when you say rap is not that I do positive outreach concerts, <laughs> right, in, um, in poor communities and with the homeless and you know, in, in young adults from a Christian perspective, I'm sure the first thing people think about when they hear rap is like jewelry, cars, rims that spin, um, girls dropping it like it's hot, twerking and drug use. Right. So when people hear me say I do hip hop or I rap in my professional context, which I'm a healthcare executive, like that challenges their stereotypes. They're like, I just met this guy who seems like he's like he's an educated executive so he should fall in this category 
in my mind kind of stereotyped over here, right? Which that's a good stereotype of like the educated, successful person. But at the same time, like I rap. So then it's like, well, what's going on? Like, I don't understand that, that, that tie. And in the same regard, like I'm an engineer, right? I've, you know, I've, I've studied, you know, I have a degree in nuclear engineering technology. I operated nuclear power plants in the Navy. So for someone who has such a considerable understanding of science and, and mathematics and technology, people normally find it weird that like I'm a pastor and that I have faith and that I believe in Jesus Christ because people kind of like they stereotype Christians as people who are illogical, especially people who are atheists. And even some of those, some of those who are, who are agnostic, right? They kind of, they kind of stereotype Christians as being anti-science, as being anti-logic. Um, when faith is, is the opposite of that, right? Faith is, <laughs> isn't a logical conclusion. It's faith. That's why it's the, you know, the evidence of things hoped for and the substance of things not uh, the substance of things old for the evidence of things not seen, right? So like my faith is 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 contradictory to the stereotype that they would think that an engineer or someone who has a background in science and technology would have. And then at the same time, just like the way that I can dress, right? And I, I think what most people don't realize, and um, and I'm gonna gonna put this out there for the white world if you are unaware, like we are very intentional or we, we have to be or we can choose to be as black men, especially in America, very intentional about the way that we dress. Right. And so like the way that we cut our hair, the way that we wear our clothes, right, um, the way that our, our, our pants hang, the way that our our hat is affixed upon our head. Right. The you know how long we choose to have our beard, how long we choose to grow our hair, um, you know, just how fitted are our clothes, how loose are our clothes, like everything that we choose to do with the garments that we put upon our body has such a considerable impact. It's ridiculous, right? Like if I choose to wear baggy pants, if I choose to wear a hoodie, if I choose to wear a do-rag, if I choose to wear a baseball cap versus choosing to wear a fitted hat with a flat brim, right? If I choose um, to let my beard grow out, if I choose to shave my face, if I choose to have an afro, if I choose to have dreadlocks, if I, right? Like all of these choices that we have that should just be personal choices of an expression of our opinion as an expression of our cultures, right? We know that any of those decisions will put us in a particular stereotypical category. So we can dress to look successful and intelligent and know that that will put us in that category. We can dress to to look urban or, you know, kind of with like hip hop culture gear with with our Jordans on and, you know, in our jeans and our and our fitted hats and all of this other stuff. And we we are taking the risk and we know that we may be categorized because um, hip hop culture is heavily tied to gang culture is heavily tied to negative images in the media. Right. So we can take that risk and know we're getting grouped into that category. Right. So it's like everything that we do, we know we're going to be stereotyped. So it's like we can choose to avoid all of the negative stereotypes. So every time I walk out of my house, I can put on a polo shirt and, a, you know, in a, a button up and wear an American lapel pin. Right. And drive the cars that don't attract the wrong kind of attention. Right. And smile all the time and wave at my neighbors to try to deescalate the fear that some people just inherently possess because of how they've been programmed about the the um, the violence and the aggressiveness of black men, especially. Right. Like I can choose to do that. Like that can be um, that can be my preference to just go out every day and wake up every day trying to make sure I don't scare someone. 
right? Trying to make sure that I don't trigger someone's um, stereotype to lead to one of these Karen escalated moments where they want to call the police on me for visiting my own tennis court or, you know, standing in my own front yard or, you know, walking to my own car or accessing my own office building and things of that nature. But it's just as stressful right to wake up every day in my opinion right so so what i've chosen what i've chose to do i would rather wake up and get dressed in the way that i feel comfortable whatever that may be right because anyone who knows me i have an i have a very large closet i have an abundant shoe collection and i have like several watches i have lots of suits and dress shirts but i also have lots of t-shirts and joggers and converses so when i wake up i dress the way that i feel but I have to make the intentional, mental, spiritual, emotional, social decision when I do as such that I am going to love people regardless of what stereotype they choose to put me in and then try to lovingly combat that stereotype, hopefully to unprogram or deprogram their assumptions of people based on what somebody looks like. Right. So um, so, for instance, like when I when I, you know, and I used to fly frequently and, uh, you know, because of the frequency of my flying, I would get upgraded on on occasion. And I don't normally know I'm getting upgraded until I'm at the airport. Sometimes I would find out the day before, especially if it was like a less popular route or it was, a you know, like an odd day that I was traveling and I would get upgraded to first class. So normally if I'm flying to a location where I'm not attending a meeting, when I fly, I'm normally in a hoodie <laughs> Um, some sweatpants, right? I'm in something comfortable. I'm in something with no zippers. I'm in something that sets off no alarms at the airport, right? So I got on Converse's or, you know, some, some running shoes or something that's comfortable. Like most of my, my attire is based on the functionality of me flying, the ease of getting through security, being able to deal with the variable temperatures because a plane will either be 100 degrees or 27 degrees depending on when you're flying and when they decide to cut the air on. So I typically fly with a hoodie and sweatpants with a t-shirt underneath um, and some shoes that don't trigger anything. I don't really wear any jewelry. Um, I may occasionally wear one of my tally and twine watches because I've learned that they don't set off the alarm, to, um, the, the, the metal detector through um, TSA pre-check. So in that though, like knowing that I'm, that I, you know, especially even when I'm not in first class, I'm sitting in premium plus, it's always interesting me the conversations that I have when I'm in sweatpants in a hoodie sitting in first class with the people who are sitting next to me or the people who sit around me that wind up becoming engaged in those conversations because I love using those opportunities, right, to help challenge and combat stereotypes that people have. And, you know, they're, they're, they're always interesting interactions because people ask me like, oh, what do you do for a living? And I could just answer the question, but because I want this to be in an educational experience, I tend to answer questions with the question. So when somebody asks me what I do for a living, I'll, I'll just I'll just say, like, if you can humor me, what do you think I do for a living? And I've gotten when in a hoodie, uh, <laughs> when in a hoodie, I've always gotten I've gotten college athlete, which I kind of took as a compliment because I mean, right now I'm 37. I think somebody said that a couple years ago. Uh, for somebody to think I look young enough to be a college athlete, unless I'm like a super, super, super senior, um, was a bit of a compliment, not to mention the fact that that means I look like I was in relatively good shape, right? And me knowing how much I'm carrying in the midsection 
Uh, I know I don't look like a college athlete underneath that hoodie, but I appreciate it. Um, the insight. So it's like, you know, either that or I'm an entertainer or I'm a rapper. And it was funny because for a while I, w- I would get offended by some of the answers and some of the responses. Uh, Cause sometimes I wouldn't ask people would just throw out their suggestions, which is weird. Right. Because like I am a rapper, I am an entertainer, <laughs> but most of the time that's not why I'm flying. Most of my flying is for, for professional reasons, professional speaking, international engagements and things of that nature. Most of my concerts are local or most of my concerts are tied to other engagements because I do a lot of my stuff in communities that don't have the funds or the means to pay for the concerts. So then as I'm traveling, I try to use my travel to benefit um, communities and organizations that can't pay for travel or pay for artists to come in. And I do concerts in that manner. But it's always an interesting conversation to have to kind of have somebody come to that realization. Like, why did you think I was a basketball player? Right? Like what in your programming when you looked at me, responded and was like basketball, like, is there is there a team on this plane? Right. Like, first of all, college football, college teams normally fly together. I see them all the time. Um, professional athletes normally fly. Together. And if I was a professional athlete, you know, most of those teams have their own planes as well. Um, but it's just interesting that when it comes to this, again, the stereotype around traveling. Right. Like most people think that if you're travel, you're either in sales or you're like in entertainment or sports. So since I'm in a hoodie, I don't look like a salesperson, which I'm not a salesperson. People just kind of fall into those categories. And I, I enjoy seeing like the light bulbs that click in people's heads, um, you know, not, you know, just inherently saying that everything that people do is racist or whatever else. But there are a lot of things that we do that are based on how we've been programmed to respond to certain races. We all stereotype people. Right. Like we, we all stereotype people, but stereotypes, even prejudices do not equate to racism. So I'm going to take a pause right there. Stereotypes and racism. I mean, stereotypes and prejudices do not equate to racism. Right. Racism is a different topic altogether. We all stereotype people. We are all prejudiced. If you don't think you're prejudiced, you think way too much of yourself. If you don't think you stereotype people, you are lying to yourself. That is the savage truth. When you see someone who is Hispanic, you either expect them to speak Spanish or to speak English with a Spanish accent. When you see someone who is wearing a turban, who looks like they're probably from India, you expect them to speak Indian or Farsi, right? Or you expect them to speak with a thick Indian accent. When that person with a turban on starts talking to you with a British accent, it throws off your stereotype, right? When that Hispanic guy who's got on a cowboy hat and the belt buckle and the boots starts talking to you with a deep Southern accent because he's from Southern Texas, it throws you off, right? It's the same thing. Like when you see a person who looks black, but then come to find out they're like, you know, they're, they're an immigrant from like Senegal and they actually, their native language is French, that throws you off. Right. We all categorize and segment people based on what we observe and based on what we know. Right. We kind of put stuff into categories. So it's the more that we learn and understand about differences, the more that we grow our perspectives, the more informed kind of like our selector is. Right. The the better our radar is from picking up on cultural clues, picking up on ethnic clues, picking up on other clues 
that will give us an indication of the kind of people that we're interacting so that we make better informed um, um, presuppositions and better informed assumptions, right? So that we're, we're better at stereotyping people because stereotypes are, are, are they're, they're a reality, right? Stereotypes are, are based on the majority of behavior within a population of people, right? There's nothing inherently negative about stereotypes unless you use stereotypes to be racist, right? Which is you take the prejudice um, associated with, or you, you know, you become prejudiced towards a stereotype group of people. And then with the combination of prejudice and power, you use that to try to deny people access, opportunity and liberty based on their ethnicity, right? Or based on their race, right? That's racism. And I, you know, to sum it up, right? That's racism is prejudice plus power, right? So you can be prejudiced, but if I don't have power over someone, it's very difficult for me to be racist because I can't deny somebody something if I don't have anything to withhold from them, right? Like, you know, you can you can be racist at the drive. You can be prejudiced at the drive through all day if you want. Give me my food, right? But if you're denying me services and if I can't eat or if you're telling me I can't dine in this facility because I'm black, your prejudice, including the power and your ability to restrict my access or your ability to restrict my my, you know, my provision or my ability to get services is now racism, right? So everyone's a little bit prejudiced. Everybody has stereotypes. And at the end of the day, the way that we treat people and the way that we wield our power based on those prejudices and those stereotypes is what determines whether or not you are racist, right? I have prejudices and I have stereotypes. If I allow that to dictate the kind of people that I hire, then I'm racist. If I allow that to dictate the kind of businesses that I patronize, um, in the kind of people that I support, then I might be racist, right? Like I can, you know, that, that that's just the reality. The reality of it is, is that we're all, you know, we're all biased towards negativity, right? It's physiological. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's psychological. That's how we are. We're, we're built to be more negative than we are positive. We all have implicit biases, but it has to do with how we wield our power and our privilege. Do we use it right to defy our prejudices and our stereotypes and be bigger than ourselves, Right. And do what's great, what's best for the greater common good. Or do we use our prejudices and our stereotypes as an excuse and a reason to use our power to oppress groups of people? Right. And that that goes for everybody. White, black, brown, in between, doesn't matter. Um, we can all we can all be we can all use our personal power to be racist if we choose to. In America, systemic racism is largely foundational based on white supremacy. So that's why you'll have some people argue that, you know, black people can't be racist in America. From a system perspective, black people in America don't own any system. So we can't deny or we can't control power based on race within systems we don't own. Individuals, yes, can be very much racist. But systemic racism um, isn't a black thing because there are really no black systems in America that um, that black Americans holistically own and control that we can restrict people's access and opportunity through. Um, unfortunate, right? Because when we saw, you know, black systems and black communities that were built, they were burnt to the ground. 1921, Tulsa. Um, so um, so that's that's the whole thing. So when it comes to combating stereotypes, right, we have to understand one or we all have to understand that we have our own stereotypes that we impose upon other people. We have our own prejudices that we impose upon other people, but we need to challenge that, learn and grow our perspectives, like what, what I want to call one hoodie at a time, right? So, or, you know, one Confederate flag at a time, one belt buckle at a time, one turban at a time, you know, one whatever at a time. Like, stop using our innate 
stereotypes and prejudices that we possess as reasons to not get to know or learn more about a person or a group of people. Right. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest, right. Living in Tennessee and being chased by people with Confederate flags and, you know, and, and being threatened with racist things when I was younger, didn't give me the best perspective of people who drive pickup trucks and wear camouflage. Right. Um, but growing, you know, but growing up, getting older, right? Like I can choose to keep that perspective that if you drive a pickup truck and wear camouflage, you are racist and probably have a Klan robe at home in your closet, right? Like that's a choice that I can choose to maintain as an, as an adult, right? As a, as a person walking through this world, or I can choose to learn more about individuals, right? I can choose to even learn more about Southern culture. I can choose to learn more about hunting culture to be able to connect with and have conversation with and understand people who are different than me. But that's intentional. That requires action. That requires energy. It is extremely easy for us to compartmentalize people and then assume I know everything about you based on what box I put you in. Where if I treat you as an individual, I actually have to take the time to feel out the definitions and the edges and the boundaries of who you are so that I know who you are specifically and I don't put you in this generic box, right? Like I love when people try to automatically draw correlations in my life because of my present. And one of the things I'm quoted at saying all the time is that you would never judge my past by my present, <laughs> right? You would never know where I came from based on where I am today, right? Because when people, you know, people see my career progression, my current, my current role, my current title, my education and all that other stuff. And the first thing they think is like, oh man, you must've come from, from a good family. You must've had really good education growing up. And then when I tell them like, yeah, I went to 11 schools by the time I was in the 11th grade across like four different States. I, you know, I graduated from high school in a lower 10th percentile of my class and I dropped out of college twice. So like when you say stuff like that, and like I grew up without my father and, you know, I came from a single family home. My mom, you know, largely took care of us. And so we were in and out of poverty for different, you know, different periods of time growing up. Like it's hard for people to fathom that, right? Because the only stories that that they're used to of people coming up, you know, out of the out of the gutter, right, is that, you know, I worked hard and then I played football or basketball and then I got a scholarship to college and I went to college and like I did make it to the NBA, but I had some great people to connect with and you know, or didn't make it to the league or I did make it to the league. Like these are the only like after school special stories that people see. These are the people that we invite to talk to our kids in school. Well, you know what? I grew up with juvenile asthma, so I was never going to be a professional athlete. I was always a pretty decent student, but when you go to 11 schools, you don't really get any feedback from counselors or teachers or people who can invest in your education from a long-term perspective. So I just kind of had to figure things out um, as I went along. I graduated from high school with no intention of going to college and only went to college to follow my girlfriend, who then wound up cheating on me, and we broke up over the summer of um, before my freshman year of college. So like all of that to say that like, like the assumption that just because somebody lives a certain way now, like, yes, I live a comfortable life now. Yes. I, you know, I, I have education and a job, but my, the way that I managed to get there <laughs> was considerably different than people who grew up in a different circumstance. But at the same time, it challenges the stereotype that the only way people can get out of the hood is by playing football or, or, you know, or releasing an album, right? Or, or whatever, or going into the military and, and doing all of this other stuff. So we have all of these narratives that are kind of painted 
So we like to try to associate people with the closest narrative that we can find that we think ties to their story. When in reality, if we were just patient enough to sit there and learn and hear people's stories, we would find that people are so much more interesting than the things that we're programmed to believe from TV, right? From media, from, from books, because some of the most of the greatest people you'll ever know will never write a book, right? They're, they just, they don't have the time. They're too busy. They don't have the desire. And honestly, they don't realize how significant or impactful or powerful their story is. So what we need to do to combat stereotypes, right, is just one hoodie at a time, one thing that makes you uncomfortable at a time. And it's something different for everybody, right? Sometimes it's a person of another religion, right? Getting to know somebody who's Muslim. Sometimes it's sexuality, right? Your taboo is, you know, people who may be homosexual, right? Like there's, you know, it could be, you know, it can be like social status, right? Like makes you feel weird being around people who are wealthy or be weird being around people who are poor, right? It, you know, it, it can be tattoos. It could be people from different cultures. It could be people who are, who are country versus city. Like, if you want to combat stereotypes and start learning to stop putting people into boxes and stop being lazy, right? Get out of this social media friendship. I check a box. I follow you. I understand your opinion because of memes that you share on social media and actually get to know people, right? One uncomfortable interaction at a time, one uncommon friendship at a time. Um, a lot of people like to refer to the, 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 the jazz, like blues musician that you know, that befriended all of these Klansmen and got over 200 of them to, to give him his robes. And I'm like, that's amazing, right? That's an amazing story. But it's, it's just a story of an uncommon friendship, right? And it's a, a story of an uncommon friendship based on one party who was persistent and trying to get to know and understand somebody that he didn't understand. So instead of sitting here just making assumptions about liberals and progressives or making assumptions about evangelicals and conservatives, like, why don't you actually get to know them? Right. Like when you start to get to know them and understand them and then grow to love them. Yeah, you will still disagree with their opinion. There are a lot of evangelicals and conservative Christians who I love who drive me crazy. But at least I understand their perspective. Right. I understand their their concern and their passion around um, around, you know, uh, around abortion. Right. I understand, you know, I even understand now that I understand more gun culture because now I got a bunch of guns. But um, you know, I understand more about the the, the Second Amendment, right? And, and just wanting to have that right to be able to own a weapon to protect yourself or your family. Like, I understand these things because I got to know people. I didn't just read books about it. Um, and I do research and study these things as well. But then understanding the perspectives behind some of these these sound bites, right? And these memes and these these brief interactions that we have on social media or in the media where we're trying to define entire groups of people we have to understand that, first of all, all stereotypes are wrong because we're all different, right? God fearfully and wonderfully made each and every individual person. So one uncomfortable conversation at a time. I think I know Emmanuel Echo has been doing that, right? Uncomfortable conversations with a black man, but have uncomfortable conversations with a variety of people, right? Have uncomfortable conversations about topics that you don't normally talk about. Have uncomfortable conversations with people from completely different areas of life and just be open to challenge what you think you know, right? Be open to look at something from another person's vantage point. Be open to having your worldview challenged. Be open to knowing that what you think, what you believe and the perspective from which you see the world is not supreme. It's just yours, it makes it special because it's yours, but it doesn't make it better than anyone else's.
right? And that's why even within the Savage Truth podcast, like my hope is just that my story or my perspective helps give you insight, helps give you context that you wouldn't have previously considered, right? With the hope that not that you switch to my perspective, but it kind of broadens the aperture of your lens. And now you can let more things into your window so that the picture is clear. We're, we're all born with this like myopic individual focus, right? We are all inherently selfish, right? We all think that our ideas are better than others, right? Like this, as I mean, it's the flaw of humanity, right? And in, in the original, you know, for those, you know, who are believers, right? The, you know, the original sin was us wanting to have the knowledge of good and evil. And I say this a lot of times, like we want to know what's right. We want to determine what's right. But we can at least learn more from other people who have different perspectives, different experiences, who have more knowledge, who have more wisdom, who have more insight, who have more imagination, who have more creativity. We have an opportunity to expand that view. We have an opportunity to be better citizens and better members of this world that we live in. But we have to combat stereotypes one hoodie at a time, one tattoo at a time. Have an uncomfortable conversation. Talk to somebody that you wouldn't normally talk to. Engage with someone you normally wouldn't engage in. Step outside of your bubble and understand that the world is bigger and more beautiful and more dynamic and more and more, you know, and just more creative than you could have ever understood. And as we learn more about each other and as we learn to love one another, I think it's easier for us to see God moving than it is when we stand in our own place and basically stare at our own reflection. Because we're broken people and we need Jesus. So I would hope that you um, that this just challenges you right to live combating stereotypes, um, to have uncomfortable conversations, uh, to stand in the mirror, look at your own reflection and understand that you don't have the best perspective of the world, that we are all called to learn from one another. We are all called to love one another. And if we choose to do that, um, humanity will be greater for it. So. Thank you for joining me again on this episode of the Savage Truth Podcast. Uh, we thank you for your support. We thank you for those who consistently listen across the country and across the world. Please continue to share. Um, please can you know reach out if you have any ideas uh, for discussions or if you have any questions about our topics. You know we're over forty five episodes now and continuing to go. And as long as I have a voice, I'll continue to share. So thank you for being with us. Um, as I always say, uh, for those of you who who are not believers, for those of you. Um, who do not know and, and follow Christ, I would just pray that you give Christ a try, right? Judge him by his own actions, by his own words, not by those who claim to represent him, not by those um, that, that, you know, who have stereotyped and judged you and put you into categories. You know, um, have some grace and don't do the same. Judge Christ by Christ, not by Christians. This is the Savage Truth Podcast um, with Pastor Roy. We thank you for joining us. God bless you. Have a good day. Sometimes you got something on your chest and you just gotta let it off. I don't know, I don't know if you know that feeling. But sometimes it's not about a song, it's about just, just letting it out. Letting your soul go, you know what I mean? It's Pastor Roy. Uh, 
I'm a broken fragment, a magnet for rage and aggression, caging the strains of depression of life. I'm grabbing this weapon, loading and aiming. I'm letting shots off in traffic, so reckless. You lucky? I got the special and not that ruger that gets me. Ten more to unload in just seconds. Ten more shortcuts to breathless. I lived in pain and so desperate. I thought that death was my best friend, and I'll invite folks to meet him like I was having the wedding. Hate rains like rice. I'm throwing spite because my burdens are heavy. See, I was born in the gutter, but never turned to that thuggin'. I wrapped the plot to kill and torture and gang bang on these corners. Sociopathic habits killing cats and still feeling numb because this world made me so cold and numb. Not like everyone, so now I'm searching for answers. This anger's growing like cancer. I found a treatment in Jesus. Them demons was tapped, dancing my freedom. You can't cancel now. Peace is my anthem. Pursuing purpose, a pastor. I pass the father's philosophy to paint the picture that your past transgressions don't bother me. We all have issues. Take a tissue, man, go cry it out. The struggle made you stronger. Ain't no need for me to lie about my journey. I was worried, but they never found that evidence. I never saw a prison cell. So that don't make me better than the next man. Cause my hands remain clean. Cause my fingerprints and crime scenes never managed to tie me down to grind me like that. I was hiding behind the smile. While robbing the riches, I pillage your village like Robin Hood with no principle. Such a despicable, miserable wretch. Delivered though. Oh. My goodness. I think it's my turn. And see, and it's kind of ironic too, bro, because I do got a lot on my mind, a lot on my heart, on faith. I came into a situation I've always hated. Drunks trying to make me afraid of them with they tough embrace and grabbing on my neck. And they swear if I tell they gonna spank me, about to hit them all with these lyrics. Father, educate them. You can't scare me, no. Can you take my reflection? I was born to make a difference, so thank you for no protection. Having sex with all these women, fulfilling nothing but lust. Criticizing on my family, cause you did nothing but bust. No fun. Let me get them now. Let my father hit them now. Conviction be the reason you hating on what I'm getting now. On faith, they worry about climbing charts. I'm worried about taking children like me, shading their hearts. No lie and no offense. You still chilling on the fence? I'm about to hit the power that help you not make amends with the people telling you to conform. I'm not a friend, but I know that God loves you. I'm helping you out for Him. Been my desire, been the fire since I met Messiah. My obedience the reason that my future is brighter. Cause when the sun shines, bro, your life is reflecting light. And it's only got one purpose, and that's putting in the plainest sight. Take off, I'm about to break off. When it's really hurting you so critical of me But you loading up on the jargons Think about it, be what you will Try to walk in this will And when the temptation comes I'm praying and being still Get in the minute, the ministry isn't be hitting me Feeling the deep with the will is divinity Sitting them down with the minutes And knowing that this will be getting me Making them finish it all. Mm. 